So two of the greatest times in my life are 6.30 or so Monday morning and 6.30 or so Tuesday morning when I get to meet with these group of guys and in, in this setting where we're developing this culture of trust and growth and, and seeing lives change so much so. I mean, I just look at the Tuesday morning and they just keep asking more guys and I'm trying to go, how, you know, how big can we get and what is God doing there? And I just am excited about what God is doing because there's this culture where, as Dan said, it's safe and you can grow and, 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 and move forward. And that's really what I want to talk about today. We've been talking about trust, build it. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about its foundation. And, and you know, trust is, is kind of something you've got to put into. It's, it's, it's an action into something. And there's a foundation that's really trustworthy. And when it is really trustworthy, we talked about it looks like a changed life. It looks like a life that is expressing joy and peace and love and hope. That's, that's how you can see that, that there's really something foundationally there. And then last week we talked about the essence of it. And we'll kind of talk a little bit about that too when we get into the first point of this message. We're going to talk this week about its culture. What, what is a culture that helps create that? Now if you go back to science days and you think of a Petri dish, you remember what a Petri dish was? It was one of those little dishes, and in this dish you put in this agar solution, which when it would harden you would ask the, add these other kind of ingredients um, and you would get these usually all put together, you know, made and ready to go. But they'd have nutrients and bloods and salts and carbohydrates and dyes and indicators and amino acids and antibiotics. Remember that? Yeah, I don't. I'm just I'm reading from Wikipedia. Anyway, um, and really the dish is is ready and it's then inoculated. It's plated. It's plated with a microbe-laden sample. And so now there's a culture, and over time, with the right ingredients and everything, that culture produces growth of whatever that was put in there. What I wanted you to think about is that is true in any relationship you are in. There is a culture about that relationship, and in that relationship you are in, it creates the opportunity with the right ingredients to develop trust. Trust then can grow and become larger so that it can allow for you in relationship with others to do incredible things and experience incredible things and you remove it and it, and it causes the relationship to fall apart. You can create a culture that breeds distrust. So in your family, in a marriage, in relationship with a boyfriend, girlfriend, a friend, a team that you're on, a sport, in a business, in your, maybe it's your sales group. All these different areas are relationships, and these relationships, think about it for a second, are cultures that, according to the ingredients in there, have the opportunity for trust to grow or not to grow. And I could list a whole number of ingredients, but this morning we're just going to talk about three, which I think are very important ingredients. It was kind of fun after the first service. I had a, a person who was a therapist come up to me and say, those three things, there's a few others as well, but those are like the three primary things. So I felt kind of good from that standpoint. But I'm not doing these from a therapeutic standpoint. I'm just telling you the Word of God. The Bible says these things are important. And when they're done, in your relationship with someone else, or in relationship with others, trust grows. So let's pray. Father, I invite you 
to open our hearts. And I invite you, Spirit of God, to be active in our hearts and lives right now. That we will be people, as we consider the step you want us to take to know and to follow and become more like your son Jesus, that you will lead us into another step this morning, both individually, in marriages, in business settings, in this church where we will be people who promote a culture and allow for trust to grow. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want to talk about is really kind of what the message was last week. It's above board integrity. And I could actually spend the whole message just on this point. Remember last week we talked about the idea of integrity. Integrity is basically this idea. It's, it's this ability, in a sense, that you will do what is right, that you will do what you say, and you'll do it again and again consistently. Now you think about that if that's in your life or in a relationship, you are allowing yourself to be an ingredient that allows for trust to grow. Tony Dungy, who is the former Super Bowl coach with the Indianapolis Colts, and now he is a, uh, currently he's a TV sports analyst, and, and in a sport, football, that is right now headlining right, like, like crazy with a lot of negative stuff, right? A lot of lack of trust going on. You have a name like Tony Dungy that is synonymous with integrity. You just talk to people in the sports field and they will tell you Tony Dungy, oh yeah, above board integrity. In his devotional book that Dan shared with the rest of us that I've been reading called The Uncommon Life, Dungy writes, I thought my dad coined the phrase, the truth will set you free. Because he lived in total honesty. I learned to live by the concept of no excuses, no explanations. A little bit later in one of his devotional readings, he says, as he speaks affectionately of his mother, he says, one thing my mom always stressed was the importance of staying close to the Lord. And whenever she felt tested or pulled to something that might compromise her integrity, she asked God for help. And she would then abide with him even when things got rough. She would do what was right, she would do what she said, and she would do it again and again, abide with him in that situation. And it was a lesson, Tony Dungy says, I learned and have taught my own children, living with integrity, he says, is essential to instilling trust in those around you. Just people count on you. Now, now again, we're talking about a culture. You have to think about this. Here is Tony Dungy growing up in a culture with a parent who has a mighty great amount of influence and another parent with a great amount of influence. Both are filled with integrity and they raise up a child who is filled with integrity and with that comes all kinds of trust. Some of you are parents and you may need to be thinking about what kind of example of integrity? Am am I living with above board integrity? Some of you as leaders in your own situation at work, are you living with above board integrity? When you look at your life in relationship to anyone, is the culture that's being built, built with above board integrity? Because integrity breeds trust. Psalm 15, if you just were to take this, and I'd almost, I'd I'd encourage you um, to take this psalm and memorize it. 
I did this a number of years ago because it's just such an important one because it's all about building integrity. David, at a certain point in his life, where it tells he was a man of integrity who led with integrity in his heart and with skillfulness of hand, it says in another psalm who's writing about David, he says in Psalm 15, who is it, God, that can dwell in your sanctuary? Who is it who can live on your holy hill? He's talking about the presence in the sanctuary of God. At this point, the temple had been, hadn't been built, but there was this temple in the place that they can to this tent that they would go to and and the holy hill was Jerusalem who is it that can get near you God who is the person who can actually walk with you and in a sense he's saying is the person you can trust because the next line says he whose walk is blameless or in many translations whose walk is filled with integrity now remember the essence of integrity what I said last week and he who does what is right He who speaks the truth from his heart, who has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong, who casts no slur on his fellow man. You can go through the whole thing. Who at one point says, who keeps his promise, his oath, who delivers on what he says even when it hurts. I just encourage you to take that and to memorize that psalm and put your own name in there and say, Kevin, who walks with... And and put yourself in there and say, this is the kind of person I am going to be because I am going to be the kind of person in any relationship that will bring in an ingredient that helps build trust. Now, on one hand, as I say that, you would think if you have then a whole lot of people who are really above-board, truthful honest people, then you should have this huge environment of trust. Yes. But what's really interesting is I was thinking about it and and praying through this, one of the things that became really clear to me, and this is what I felt we needed to talk about, because if you really want to hear about the all integrity stuff, look at last week's and listen to how God deals with us and then ask yourself, am I going to build this? So now I want to ask you this question. Why is it that in some situations there's distrust? And it really kind of goes back not just to other people, it's also you have to look at yourself. There's an interesting thing when you, when you, when you see that when in situations where there doubt and suspicion come in, if doubt and suspicion come in, it can lead to distrust and distrust then can lead to division. See, doubt and suspicion create an atmosphere of distrust. And all you have to do is go back to the beginning of the Bible. Read Genesis chapter 3. You get to verse 1, and the canvas of God's creation is hardly dry when you come to verse 1. And it says in verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the animals the Lord God had made. Now, now think about it again. God has created an environment here, right? It's a culture that should just breed trust. I think God was above board with integrity. What's interesting is it says here that The serpent said to the woman, did God really say? You almost got to underline that. You must not eat from any tree in the garden. See, all you have to do, and and, and if you read Revelation 12, verse 10, there is this idea. He says in that scripture, he says, at one point, the accuser of the brothers and sisters has been thrown out. There is this idea that Satan can come in and he can easily breed in our own thoughts. He can begin to accuse with a voice and place in our thoughts doubt. And in that doubt can come suspicion. And in that suspicion, what happens, what you see what happened with... Adam and Eve, that they were separated from God. They ended up hiding because of that. They actually separated, divided from one another as they began to accuse each other for where they're at. Because Satan, so, he just loves us, so seeds of distrust. So here's the truth about any person 
any relational setting, any place where there's relationships in an organization. There will be from time to time a gap between what is said and what is done. There will be from time to time a gap between what is promised and what is fulfilled. There will be from time to time a gap between what is expected and what actually happens. And there's a reason for that. It's because we're human. It's because we're not perfect. It's because we can't even control our environment all the time, right? It's because of sin. That kind of thing can happen. So the question I ask you is when that kind of thing happens and you experience a gap of trust, it's a really important thing to ask yourself. Is this person an honorable, trustworthy person? And in this situation, the gap that's been created, what do I fill it with? Think about that for a second. When there is a gap in trust, what do you fill it with? I was thinking about this as I was thinking about in one of the things that um, we seek to do in our staff meeting is uh, I will often just encourage us to say, you know, if we really are living with honesty and truthfulness with one another and something occurs and it creates a gap, then it's really your job not to talk to someone else, but it's your job to go to that person, like it says in Matthew 18, and say, let's get on the same page. Let's, let's talk about this. This is what I'm thinking. This is what happened. So I'll give you an illustration how you can fill the gap. Let's, let's just talk about our, my, our staff meeting, because that's one that I can, can actually readily use as an illustration. And in our staff, right at this point, I believe there's a high degree of relational trust. And that's been a gift from God, but it's not something that just happens. We've worked hard on it. Our administrative pastor, here's an example of what do you fill the gap with. Let's just say our administrative pastor, Mike Brinkman, and I love his name, Brinkman, because Brink, you know, this idea of a rock, and he's steady, and he's reliable, which he is. I call him Brink, man. Anyway, Mike tells me he's going to show up at 9 a.m. for a meeting, and all of a sudden Mike comes in at 9.20. Now, what happens in a situation like that? There's a gap that's been created, right? There's a gap between what I expect and what actually happens. And so at that point, I have a choice. You have a choice. When a gap is there, you have a choice. What are you going to fill the gap with? You have that in marriages, you have that in all kinds. I mean, the culture that you're creating, if you're coming in a high degree of high set of honesty, as you are in that situation, so what do you fill the gap with? So I have a choice at that situation. I can think to myself, okay, I know Mike. Mike must have had car trouble, or um, he maybe had something going on at home, or, you know, if you know Mike, maybe he had a bad hair day. Um, Mike's bald, so you guys, anyway... uh, But if I know Mike, and if he's late, I trust the fact he probably has a good reason, so I fill the gap with that. But I could. I have the choice of of putting in that gap suspicion and allowing the accuser of the brethren and sister, in my mind, to put in there and say, you know, Mike doesn't really care. You know, Mike Mike just has got his priorities messed up. I I can go, you know, and, and think Mike doesn't value me or my leadership, and he obviously doesn't value this meeting. Now, I won't know unless, you know, and what really builds trust is if Mike sends a text message before I ever know he's going to be late that says I'm going to be late. You see what I mean? There's ways to build trust. There's ways to have gaps. Everybody has gaps. We, because of our human nature, will have gaps. We, because of the fact of our human experience, here's something to really understand. Because of our human experience, we may be skilled in the ability to distrust and be suspicious. 
You may not have ever thought about that in a marriage or in a situation. Have you ever thought about the fact of your own human experience? You may have come from a home where there was a whole, always a hidden agenda. There was a sense of manipulation, a sense of feeling controlled. And because of all that, you may come into a situation and you may look at something and you may come into it thinking, I'm going to fill the gap because I know what's happened and maybe that's not the case. And the only way you know is if you get one-on-one with someone and you begin to observe their life and their character and you go, what am I going to fill that gap with? Human complexity makes this awfully difficult because all you have to do is bring people together from different cultures and bring people together from different generations and bring people together from different home backgrounds and experiences and you ask them to come together and be a family. And you you know what happens? Why it makes it so difficult? It's not just our human nature. It's not just our human experience that we've had that we bring into it. But human complexity with different values creates all kinds of opportunities for us to do something out of our value system that someone else does out of their value system and all of a sudden this complexity creates the potential for distrust and over time that distrust can build a relational setting, organization, relationship in a marriage, whatever it is that is characterized by distrust and not trust. Anybody ever experienced that? So the key question I ask you to think about this morning in your own life is when there is a gap and you may even want to think about a specific relationship, what do you feel in that gap? with. And when there is a gap, and if it is something and you kind of go distrust it, just that's where it's at. Are you willing to sit down with an individual? Are you willing to do whatever you need to do to build trust? That's a critical question. And I'm asking that because later in the service we're going to be talking about what we want to do here as a body. There's some areas that we want to grow in in trust. The second thing is bended knee humility. I think it's an incredibly important value. Um, It says in Matthew 23, verse 12, Jesus is saying, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Jesus seems to indicate that one of the most important values besides above-board integrity, um, the idea that the the, the agendas and everything is up in the front and that you're acting and doing what is right and you're doing what you say and you do it again and again, all that kind of stuff is going on. If that's important, he says another thing really important is humility. Bended knee humility. We think of humility so often. Humility is not, you know, poor me, I'm really rotten, I can't do this well. And someone says, oh, that was a good message, Pastor. No, I really wasn't. Now, that's not humility. That would be just, that's pride. Bended knee humility is this idea of honesty with regard to yourself and what seems to be going on in the sense that you can go, oh, here are strengths I have, and I really love to be able to use these strengths because I know they're strengths that have been given to me by God. That's humility. And then when someone says something like, I like your smile, I like this, you go, oh, thank you. Because you know what? I didn't really make the smile. God did, right? But then you have the other side of which is the weaknesses. And when you can look at it and go, you know, here's some areas that I'm just not as strong in. And that's okay because not everybody is strength, has strength all over the place. But where there's a weakness. And so you look at this weakness and you go, yeah, I can understand it. And when you come to that place, you go, you know what? I need someone else who has some strengths here. So if you're building a staff, really might be good to have someone who does this really well. When you're looking at your marriage, you as a, maybe as a, as a husband go, you know, I do some of these things really well, but my wife does these really well. So I'm going to, humility is the ability to look at these things and go, oh, this is who I am. It's the ability at times to see your limitations and go, you know what? I might need to look outside myself right here for some help. I have people ask me sometimes, you know, what is one of the most fundamental key things in leadership? And, and my, my first response is this. I I talk about spiritual initiative. And by that, I mean simply this. 
when things are in a situation where with humility you begin to look at your strengths, weaknesses, and you see a limitation, and you, as a leader, are leading, one of the first things you will do is you will bend your knee in your heart before God and say, God, I need you to really help me in this situation. So when I talk to couples and they say, you know what, how about this whole thing about leadership? I said, you know what, if you want to just talk about leadership, try to be the first one to take spiritual initiative in your home. That's the best leadership you'll get. The first one who will bend their knee. And like Jesus in the garden, himself, Jesus himself, who, who was the most humble of all people, bent his knee and just said, God, not my will, but thy will. If there's another way to do this, would you help me? You know, I don't know the exact how this is going to work it out, but if there's another way, and the father says no, no, three times, and he says, okay, not my will, but your will. I'm going to just follow you. Can you imagine if people do that? You do that in a marriage. You do that in a staff setting. You do that in your business setting. You do that on a team. Now, obviously, I realize... Not everyone will follow spiritual initiative. But you can. And we should. And I think about this. I think about spiritual initiative, this idea that you bend your knee and you understand your limitations. You say, this is what we can do, but we need to go outside ourselves. We need to go to God. We need to maybe... People do this all the time in life, right? Right? You know, I remember when I first went to a consular a number of years ago because I was really trying to work through some issues and understand some family background issues and, and things that seemed to keep getting me stuck and tripped up. And I just wanted to understand basically some motivations. And, and, and I talked to Grace about this yesterday in the car. We were going someplace and I said, you know, I remember the first time I went to counseling and my whole desire was I want to have as much energy for the things I do at the church as I, I want to have as that much energy for my home and for you and for the kids. Because I don't get why I don't. Yeah, pastor just said that. That was a number of years ago, and I remember when I'm sitting in the counseling office, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, man, if anybody sees me from the church, they're going to know I'm not really got my act together. But I thought to myself, when I was sitting there, that's really kind of silly. It should be a good thing that you're open to being able to say, you know, I need help here. I mean, think about it for a second. How many of you, when you have some situations where you are maybe doing some property, um, to work with your property, how many of you have difficulty sitting in a lawyer's office thinking, oh, someone's going to see me about this? Now, maybe it's for something else you're sitting there. It could be an issue, but, right? How many of you, when you go to the car mechanic, sit in the car mechanic going, oh, man, someone's going to see I can't handle how to work with my car? I, I just want to give people permission here. To go, you know, in your marriage, maybe in your marriage right now, you need to go, you know what, I need to see someone and I need to be okay with going, you know what, I can't always fix everything that gets stuck in my marriage. Or maybe in a, maybe, you know, businesses do it, but sometimes even CEOs of corporate businesses have a hard time being humble enough to be able to see their limitations and say they need someone else to come in. Parents sometimes do it, sometimes they don't. There's this whole idea of above-board integrity and this bended knee humility. And the key question I want you to think about for a second around this whole idea of humility is this is simple thought. Here's the question. See, humility that recognizes limitations will engender trust. So here's a question. Where are you bumping up against your limits, either individually or in some kind of relational setting? And you know that God is saying, bend your knee. Invite him. Maybe invite someone else in. Where you may be stuck, and you might need some outside help. The third thing is I talk about same page vision, and I say that because the Bible gives really good advice for this. And you may not understand this, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul at one point says, Do not be 
yoked together with unbelievers. And it was very common, that agricultural illustration of being yoked. And so you have these two oxen, but if they start pulling in different directions, it creates a lot of pain. If they don't have a clear understanding of where they're going and are on the same page, they're going to really feel pain. And that's why he says this. He says, when it comes to your marriage, you know, people say, well, you don't marry a non-Christian. Well, here's the reason why. It's because your values deep down in your heart are going to be different. And over time, you may not think they're too far here, but over time, I can tell you as a pastor, if you are in that situation, they will lead to chafing and hurt and pain unless you get on the same page. And I talk to people about businesses, and they say about a partnership. I say, you know, if the guy isn't a believer, I mean, and I'm talking about a person who's really committed, a believer who's walking their talk, has up, 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 up front integrity, you know, above board integrity. Then you say, you know, bring those, yeah, God says you can work together as long as you stay on the same page, you're clear about where you're going, and you do that, you won't be kind of bumping up against one another. Basically, here's the problem when you have two different visions, two different directions. The idea of two visions is what the word, what the word is really, if you take the word, division. Right? Two vision always will lead to division. And they may be two different and good visions, but they create division, division. So one of the ways I was thinking about this with regard to the Vikings, because I thought I could make this clear through an illustration like this. If, if the Vikings stand a chance today against New England, right? I mean, I'm just talking about if they stand a chance. They somehow need to be on the same page with what they're doing. They will need to make certain that when they are calling plays, they're going about it together. Not just for a few plays, not just for a few minutes, not just for one half, but probably for two halves. But here's how division could work. Two visions in midst of a huddle. They get in the huddle, and Matt Castle goes, guys... We're doing a pass play. And he's, let's say he's really clear about it, too. So there's no fuzziness in this. He goes, you know what? We're going to pass block. You guys are all going short. Corderell, Patterson, you're going long. Just go straight down the field long. I'm throwing it there. On three. And they break. And on the way to the, out of the huddle, the center's going, I am so tired of pass blocking. I get beat up. And he says to the two guards, let's just run block. And they're going, yeah, yeah, you're right. What's, what's our turn to go against them because they keep coming. Yeah, that sounds good. And then the center goes, and let's, I'm just, I'm impatient. I'm tired of three. Let's go one. Now, how many games are going to win? Within the team, how much is, is it going to engender a lot of trust? You see, two visions can, if they're competing, create all kinds of problems. James says that. James chapter 1. It's really interesting. At one point, he's saying, you guys in Jerusalem have been scattered. And so he's writing to the 12 tribes of Jerusalem, one of the earliest um, New Testament letters written. And in James is the brother of Jesus. And, and James says to them, guess what, you guys? You're f- experiencing trials right now. It's really difficult. And, and one of the translators translates it this way. Welcome trials as friends. Okay, so I've been talking about trust, and you're having trust in some issues, and you're kind of going, oh, I'm just so tired of these trials. Welcome those as friends, right? Because in it, if you approach it in a heart that's right and do what is godly, you will build your character. And as your character is built, it may have a real influence around those that are there. It may not, but it may. And so he says, this is what I want you to do. And, and, and so in James, then he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to ask God because you can get wisdom from him. In the Living Translation, it says this. But when you ask him, be sure that you really expect him to tell you for a doubtful mind will be as unsettled as the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And he's not talking about being a doubter here. He's talking about being double-minded. He goes on to say, every decision that you make will be uncertain and you will turn this way and then that way. The idea is this. You say, I want to follow you with all my heart, God, and I really want to have a good relationship with people. 
people, and then he says, well, then you need to forgive so-and-so. But yeah, if I can't really. You know, you're being tossed and turned. That's what he says. You're divided inwardly. Well, now in James, it's really interesting because he goes on a little bit further because the whole idea is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, his brother who died on the cross, did this so that we would recognize our sin and he would let us know that whether you're rich or poor, or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. At the foot of the cross, you're the same before God. And, and you treat one another out of that sense of the gospel. And here's the overt mission. But what was happening in the church, if you go to James chapter 4, he says to them, you guys, what's causing fights and quarrels among you? So now we're not just talking about inner division. We're talking talking about division that's happening here. What's causing this? He says this. Because you have competing visions or desires that battle within you. Because you say overtly that we're all the same and we want to treat either uh, one another with fairness and justice and, and like the Father who, 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 who gives his gifts without any changing a sense of his, his light and his love on all people. You go around, he says, and he says in, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, my brothers and sisters, believers of our Lord, Lord, glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you go around showing favoritism. You see, what can happen is, in, even in a, in, in a situation, it may not be as, as, as obvious as the football play I shared with you, but it, it can be, here's the overt vision, and then there can be some covert kind of visions, and they can compete against one another and create all kinds of problems. I mean, um, anybody who has um, been involved with alcoholic situations are probably aware of this. I'm not talking about the alcoholic situation where the person has got a problem, everybody knows about it. I'm talking about the one that people don't know. And let's say the dad is an alcoholic, but he is this kind of guy. Maybe he's the mayor of the small town that he's in, and he runs a business there, and he seems to do all kinds of good things. The family seems to be really good. The kid's a star athlete, etc. And the overt vision that everybody's looking at, the scenes like the desire of that family is that they love and they treat one another with respect and their growth and all the ingredients are there. But underneath it, let's just say that father's alcoholic and everybody knows it. They don't talk about it, but what happens is there is a covert vision that is one they all agree on, and that is this, keep dad happy no matter what. I don't know the relationship you're in with, a, with, with your spouse or with a really close friend or in a team that you're about, but let me just tell you this. If there's an overt vision and there's something covert going on, you've got to get it to the surface. And they may be two visions that are really two good things, and yet it has to get to the surface. There either has to be some kind of bringing it together, there has to be some kind of sense of, of recognizing, acknowledging it, and maybe they have to be different and go different, because those things will compete and will create all kinds of tension and pain and sorrow and hurt. So here's my question. Are there covert visions going on within your own heart before God? God, man, I really want to know you. I really want to follow you. I really, and yet you're tossed and turned because you know what? You say that, you come here, but you don't want to live it out. You know, it may be that God wants you to get underneath that and bend your knee in humility and invite someone else in and say, hey, let me come in and give you some understanding. Maybe what's going on is just not being seen. You need the revelation of God through someone else. Are there any covert kind of desires in your marriage? that are really destroying it. Or maybe in a family or in a business situation you're working in, how do you deal with it? Well, what about our church? There are all kinds of important ingredients, but I do know there's three that are, that are very important for us as a church body, 
And one of those is this above-board integrity, this idea of bend and knee humility that invites God and others in to give us wisdom, and then this whole understanding of being same-page vision. What is it? What are we going to do? And how do we get behind it? And I just want to share with you, because you know, some of you have gotten letters this week, that we're in this process right now. The elders have unanimously agreed together to kind of bend our knee in humility, um, to, as leaders, spiritually take the initiative and say, God, we want to create an environment and culture where trust is not only developed and grown and made strong, but where we're aligned and visioned together in ways that are powerful. So we've been praying and asking God for wisdom to build that kind of trust in the healthiest culture that's possible. And as we have done that, we came to a, an agreement that we wanted to call someone in. And I want to, in a few moments, introduce um, Tim Addington to you to just share with you a little bit. But I just want you to know that um, as a church, this is an exciting thing. There's other churches who have done things like this. I remember a few years back, um, this big mega church of some 15,000 attendees called Willow Creek in, in the suburbs of Chicago. They brought in Harvard University. We're not bringing in Harvard, Tim. But anyway, anyway, um, they brought in Harvard University to take an honest, hard look at whether they were really on the same page accomplishing what they said they wanted to and, or whether they're just keeping people busy with activities. That's an amazing thing to do this. And they called it Reveal. And Reveal it did. They found so much of what they were doing was just that getting people engaged in activity, not really helping them take their next step to know, follow, and actually become like Jesus. So with bended knee and humility and above-board integrity, they brought someone in. And so we, in a sense, are doing our own kind of reveal as elders. We've decided what we want to do is bring in um, Tim Addington, who comes with um, also a team of people from the Free Church to come in and to say, kind of do a work on us. You know, we've been stuck in some places for a number of years in some areas, and we just want you to come in and give us some insight and some understanding, some wisdom, so that we can grow deeper in trust with one another. So if you're new, you're going, whoa, what's this about? We're, we're just really seeking to work through some conflict in a way that will um, hopefully, even for yourself, if you're a part of this, you'll really grow. In fact, some of the things Tim's going to share in a moment are really important. Part of what he's going to do is just listen and let people um, share with him. So Tim, if you would come and take, um, you know, 10 minutes. Don't be afraid of doing a whole 10 minutes because we will just close probably in prayer and maybe do a short number. I'm not sure. Okay? Um, Tim is a senior uh, vice president at uh, the Free Church. He's um, done this with thousands of uh, churches and leaders and uh, organizations, books on it. So, I, I mean... I was kidding you about Harvard. You are kind of a Harvard for the free church. So uh, I want to just thank you for through Harvard. <laughs> so thank you, Tim. Although I did uh, walk through Harvard one time, and 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 in the gift shop you can buy a T-shirt that says "I've been through Harvard," and at that point it's true. All right, I'm a I'm a weird guy because I don't mind conflict. Uh, but my observation is that uh, churches, generally, are not very good at negotiating conflict. It makes us uncomfortable. Um, that's because churches are like families. Now, I come from a big family. I have nine siblings, and when we do a family reunion from my folks' on down. There are over a hundred people, 
and the nieces and nephews have to wear name tags, otherwise you wouldn't know who they are. And I don't particularly like family reunions because all of the dysfunctions, you know, and roles that you had when you were really young, they come out at a family reunion. So my claim to fame is that in 2007, I got really sick. I was in the hospital 45 days, and I was in a coma, and my whole family came. They had a reunion, and I got to sleep through it. <laughs> okay, so some things have bubbled to the surface at Wyzetta Free Church. And uh, uh, my job, uh, as uh, asked by the elders, is to do a lot of listening and to do a lot of probing and to help them and to help you clarify what the issues are, and then to figure out and, and give to you a proposed way forward. Now, when I do this, I will tell the same thing to you as a congregation that I will tell the elders. I believe that honest, candid disclosure and dialogue is healthy. So um, I'll just... I'll just tell you at the end exactly what I've told them, and they have agreed to that. Now, conflict is not bad because conflict reveals that there are competing views of what should be, and it gives you a chance to clarify what will be. Conflict is not bad, but how we handle conflict can either be healthy or unhealthy. And conflict gets us into trouble when it's unhealthy. So I want to give to you uh, sort of ten guidelines uh, as, as to how to walk through conflict in a healthy way. The first one is that disagreement and expressing disagreement is not wrong. Now, some are afraid to share disagreement, like in a church setting, because they're afraid it will be seen as gossip. It is not gossip. All of us have the right to share our views in the church with the caveat that we do it in a healthy manner. It is always unhealthy to shut down discussion in the church. In the church I attend for 30 years, they never had conflict because there was an unspoken value. We do not do conflict. And so they just shoved it all under the rug. And 30 years later, they had the mother of all church fights because all of that stuff had been stuffed. So we don't want to stuff. We want to talk. Second, gossip, however, is sin. Gossip uh, is defined as idle talk or rumor, especially about the personal or private affairs of others or about their motivations. So gossip is different than sharing our opinions because it goes to the motivations of other people or the passing along of third-party information as fact or denigrating or putting others 
down. Disagreement or stating our views is not gossip. It is simply being defining about what we think. Third, robust dialogue is healthy. Uh, in our organization, we have we, we use this term robust dialogue where any issue can be put on the table with the exception of personal attacks or hidden agendas. In fact, it's in robust dialogue that you get the best answers. If we all agreed on everything, some of us aren't needed, right? So it's good to talk those things through, but to do so without hidden agendas or personal attacks. Four, unity and diversity is critical. I am convinced that the largest proof that there is a Holy Spirit is that churches, people in churches, muddle along and get along with each other fairly well with all of the differences that we have. Generational, socioeconomic, ethnic, political. What keeps us together? It is the fact that we all have the same Holy Spirit, and that same Holy Spirit gives things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. So here's the deal. We can be as diverse a people as there will ever be, but since we all have the same Holy Spirit, if we are walking in the Spirit, there can be unity in diversity. Which is why Paul says in Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Five, being able to disagree with somebody and stay in relationship is not only good emotional intelligence, but it is a reflection of the Holy Spirit. Each of us has preferences and opinions on many things in the church. But when those preferences or opinions divide us, something is wrong. We should be able to disagree and stay in friendship and relationship. Would you agree with that? But you'd also agree it often doesn't happen, right? One of the saddest things is that when churches have conflict, people lose friends that they thought were real friends and they've been close to for a long time. Which leads me to six. Marginalizing or demonizing those who disagree with us is both bad emotional intelligence and does not reflect the Holy Spirit. It's one thing to disagree with somebody. It's another thing to stay, take the next step and say they're a bad person or they're an evil person or... They're being used by Satan or whatever we say. It happens in families, but it shatters relationships. We don't want to do that. Seven, 
taking on the offense of others is foolish and wrong. So my best friend has an issue with somebody in the church, and so out of friendship, I take up their offense and allow their issue to become my issue. That's foolish and wrong because, first of all, I have no personal reason to have an, an issue with that third party, and I cannot, I cannot fix that issue with the third party because it's not an issue of mine. And so healthy people say, I own my issues. You own your issues. I'm not going to take yours. You're not going to take mine, right? Would you agree? Okay. Eight, the church is the bride of Christ, and therefore we must display the attitude of Christ toward one another, even when we differ from one another. This is not like a secular organization. It's the bride of Jesus, which is Jesus' chosen instrument to reach the world, which is why Paul writes in Philippians uh, 2, 4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, and we're pretty good at doing that, but to the interests of others and have the same attitude as Jesus. Nine, forgiveness is often needed when we have conflict. We don't have to apologize for having differing views with each other, but when we cross a line in our words, our attitudes, our emotions, which is very easy to do in conflict. We need to ask for forgiveness and extend it to those who ask us. It's very hard to walk through conflict without needing to forgive or be forgiven. And 10, whenever there's conflict, we need to pray like crazy. Humanly, we like to divide ourselves from those who think differently. But remember, we all have the same spirit. It is when we pray for the unity of the church and for each other, it is the Holy Spirit that knits us back together because we are one people with one spirit. So, we're going to figure out what the underlying issues are. I will tell you what I learned. I will be listening to you, and my contact information is in the bulletin, even my phone number, which is a scary thing. Uh, but that's why I'm here, and I will recommend a path forward. And as we pray together, I'm convinced that God will do something. I have an irrational optimism for the church. Not because of us, that would be irrational, but because of the Holy Spirit. And I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit will restore the kind of unity that we all want to have in the church, and that's my prayer and goal. Thank you. Thanks. I really like Tim because he is a straight shooter, and those are really practical points. When you look at this whole idea of a culture of trust, those things he mentioned are incredibly important. And so I just want you to know, I know if some people are going, I, what? 
you know, you know what, I just want you, if there's things that are going well, I'm sure Tim loves to hear from you that way, or if you've had some things, you kind of just kind of go, this is something I've had a concern about. That's why that's there. This is an information time, because um, it's our own kind of reveal study, and we're really asking God to reveal and then release us into a direction where we can continue to see God do the really cool things he's been doing in people's lives. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to just sing this. Well, you know what? Should we just... You guys can play as we leave. How will we do that? Let me play and close. Father, thank you so much for this time together. And I pray that as we go and as we hear this song, that, God, we would remember, um, no matter what we're in, in a situation, you know, whatever culture trust might be being tested right now, where there might be a sense that, that we need to, to um, ask those questions that we've been talking about this morning, we invite you into it. I pray that for people here, and I pray as they go, they would remember as a song is sung that, that you are faithful. You will be with them. You will be with us. We're so excited about how you're working, and we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you.